0: Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series "Houses of Worship," or what role and place did houses and homes play in the life and ministry of the New Testament church? What does the Bible say about that? And so we're examining this. In the uh, in the last lesson, we particularly looked at This notable event that took place in the Gospels, which we call the Last Supper, and it took place in an upper room, a large upper room, of a private residence. Well, that's not the last time that we see that particular location, and it's not the last time that something very significant took place there. So the title of this lesson, or the focus of this lesson is, The Day of Pentecost Outpouring Happened in a House. As commanded by Jesus, the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives after his ascension. And when they returned to Jerusalem, they gathered in an upper room of a house. Acts chapter 1, verse 12 Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zealotes and Judas the brother of James." These all gathered, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, parentheses, the number of names together were about 120. This was a large upper room. Most likely, this is the same large upper room where the Last Supper was celebrated. Given that the good man of the house would have been familiar with the disciples through their mutual connection to Jesus, it would explain why the scripture simply states that they just walked into a house and went up into an upper room. It strongly infers a specific location both familiar and freely accessed. Is it possible that the Lord chose this location for his last supper, our terminology, not the Bible's, uh, because it wasn't a last supper. It was his last Passover with them, Passover meal with them. Uh, But is it possible the Lord chose that to establish something here for his church access going forward or the access of his disciples going forward? It certainly would appear that that's the case. So they returned from the Mount of Olives where Jesus ascended, from the Garden of Gethsemane, and they returned to Jerusalem and went directly to this house and gathered there. They went to this large upper room. How large was it? It was roomy enough for 120 people. Now, we would call that a church, wouldn't we? That'd be a decent-sized church auditorium. Well, I guess it would from our perspective, but it wasn't a church auditorium. It wasn't a church facility. It was a good man's house. It was somebody's home. And they apparently it was a fairly large house because it had a large upper room. And they gathered there. It is most unlikely, or it is most likely, excuse me, uh, that this was the same exact upper room where the Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost, this house where they had the last supper, their last Passover together. Given that it was not uncommon for the more wealthy during that time period to have a second floor banqueting and feasting hall in their home, uh, This particular large upper room of a house or home was evidently large enough to hold 120 people. So this man was not poor. The house was not small, and just his upper room was large enough that it easily accommodated 120 people. Now, for the Last Supper, uh, what we call the Last Supper again was only 12. But or thirteen actually counting Jesus. Uh, but for this gathering, there were 120 people there. So again, the point I'm making with this lesson is the first time the Holy Ghost was poured out, it was poured out in the upper room of a house. Acts chapter two, verse one. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit Gave them utterance. Now the Greek word here is translated is oikos, and is or oik- oikos, and it is translated house. It means literally a dwelling. So this was not a man's business place that happened to have a, a banquet hall he rented out. It was not some meeting place. It was this a man's this a certain man's house. And as I've taught in the last lesson, very, very unlikely that it brought, belonged to one of the twelve apostles. None of them, except maybe I guess Matthew, was a tax collector. Probably was rich enough to have afford a place, afforded a place like this. But since Matthew was with the group that stayed behind with Jesus when Jesus sent Peter and John to the city to uh, to locate the this upper room. And talk to the good man of the house, and to prepare for his last Passover with them. Uh, then it very is it's very unlikely it was Matthew's house. So this is someone's house, and we don't know who it is. Uh, I haven't found any clues to identify who it is. I may one day, but I don't have them now. But again, it was a house. So the Last Supper took place at a house, not the temple. And the outpouring of the Holy Ghost took place in a house, not the temple. Uh, Thayer says the word oikos means an inhabited house, a home. So, again, the Holy Ghost was first poured out in a house, a house, a house. Why do we believe people have to come to church to get the Holy Ghost? Oh, I know. Because if we don't see it happen and it doesn't happen in the church, we don't believe it's really the Holy Ghost. Is that it? The day of Pentecost as a Jewish feast marked the yearly Jewish celebration for the giving of the law to Moses, which was the commencement of the Old Testament. So the day they celebrated as the commencement of the Old Testament, the giving of the law of Moses, they called the the day of Pentecost. It was also the day that the New Testament began. And uh, I'll say this again later, but I'll say it here now. The Old Testament began on a mountaintop, but the New Testament began in the upper room of a house. Now, I, apparently, that mountaintop was pretty significant. We know the name of the mountain. We know that what happened on the top of that mountain between Moses and God. Well, we give that kind of significance to that mountain, but we don't give significance to the type of facility the Lord used to begin the New Testament. Same fire, same wind, just like when God gave the law to Moses. There was supernatural fire and supernatural wind on that mountain. Well, here's the supernatural fire and supernatural wind in a house. The initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost, of the baptism of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost was significant. Again, because it marked the official commencement of the New Testament. And that took place in a house. It took place in a house. And the end of Act chapter two, on the birthday of the Church, The day of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost says that they continued uh, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. And then it says that they met daily in the temple that was public and house to house, house to house. Now, that's apostolic. You can't get any more apostolic than that because that's the apostles actually doing it. So if the apostles were actually doing that, then that would be literally apostolic. So I wonder today if we can be apostolic without those two dimensions of ministry in our church. Well, I've heard all kinds of excuses the last few years, especially. Well, you know, people are uncomfortable with other people in their house. Oh, you mean they're not hospitable. They're not hospitable. So the Holy Ghost doesn't have any effect on that, huh? Well, what's mine is mine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come fellowship with you on what we all get to have together, but what mine is mine. And I don't want people traipsing through my house and breaking my stuff. Well, I don't mean this unkindly at all, but God's the one who gave that house. He gave it. And if he wants it, he'll get it one way or the other. Well, that's not very nice preacher. Well, I read the Bible. I read the Bible and I study the Bible and I believe the Bible and I see in the Bible that when God says something is his, that he gives it as to us as stewards to take care of, not owners of because if I don't own me, because I've been bought with a price and uh, I'm not my own according to the Bible, then what I own is not mine, he owns it. And that means the house belongs to him too. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to me, it belongs to him. And it doesn't belong to anybody else. And for saved people, saved people who truly know they're saved, they're not their own, they're bought with a price. Nothing they have is theirs. They don't draw lines and say, I don't want people in my house. Well, if you don't want people in your house, it's your house. God bless you trying to take care of it because he's not going to bless you trying to take care of it. Because you've you become the God of that house. You've become the savior of that house. Brother Right? you're not being kind. You're not being pharaoh, I'm being all of that and more. I'm being really kind. <laughs> Trust me. I'm being really kind. And I'm being very biblical. The idea that somebody, anybody as a part of the body of Christ, would keep the church of the living God out of their house because they don't want people traipsing through their house. Your definition of salvation and mine came from two different sources. I know where mine came from. Mine came out of the book. Where yours come from? Because it's not in the book. It's not in the book. I said it's not in the book. So the idea here that such significant New Testament events took place as the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. In fact, (laughs) I don't know if there is a roof or if there were big windows or what. But Peter didn't come down out of the upper room to preach to the crowd gathered in the street. And if there were windows, if there were windows, instead of there being, it being roofless, but it was a room, so I guess it had a roof, but it was apparently open because what took place in the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, there was such noise made, a great crowd gathered outside the house. But Peter's first pulpit, or the place from which he preached, the first message preached as a part of the church, he preached from the open door, window, whatever it was, or the open side of the upper room to the crowd gathering. He never left the upper room to preach. He preached to people out there. And why? Because first of all, he was more it was easier for him to hear from up and from the wall of the upper room than down among the crowd, and second of all, if three thousand people got saved that day, and we know that rarely is it a case where every single person got saved, uh so who knows how big the crowd actually was that day? I don't know. you don't know. But I know this one thing, that house was a major venue for the beginning of this church. Now, I'm sure it continued to be used by the church, but unless I've missed it and just didn't see it, I don't see any other time in the book of Acts, this place that was so significant Last Supper and the Day of Pentecost Church was ever mentioned in the New Testament again. I am sure that people continue to gather there in that man's home. I'm sure of it. I'm sure that people continue to pray there. I'm sure that people continue to get their direction and training and fellowship with the body of Christ, some of them there but it was never mentioned specifically again that I personally have found. Why? This upper room that the Last Supper was in, we'd have turned that into a museum piece. We don't even know the location of it today. (laughs) The man who owned the house, to my knowledge, was never identified. Why? Because of what man would do. Man would make the place holy instead of what happened there holy. Man would turn it into a shrine or turn it into a monument or turn it into a a, a sanctuary. Man would make the place holy rather than the event holy, the ministry holy. So we don't know where it was. We don't know. But we know this. God chose to do two of the most significant things that was ever done in what we call the new Testament in the upper room of a house. And I don't believe they were really distances apart time-wise. I don't in John 13, when he had this supper and that supper was the last supper John 13 describes. John 14 begins to record the last teaching or ministry session he had with them, chapters 14, 15, 16. And then when he finished teaching them at the end of chapter 16, he prayed with them in chapter 17. And then he went out in chapter 18 and prayed for himself and was then taken captive. And crucified. So, at most, there was maybe 55, 60 days separating the Last Supper and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, but more than likely, it was approximately 51 days that separated these two events. We do know it was a Passover, which would have been actually 53 days. 53 days Uh, because the Passover was three days before what we call Easter, which was the day of resurrection. And Easter was also the day of the first fruits. That's the beginning of the grain harvest. And the grain harvest went 50 days because on the day of Pentecost, one reason that the grain harvest had to end on the day of Pentecost was because it was the next feast it was the celebration of the giving of the Old Testament, which became the day the New Testament began. And so Jesus was resurrected uh, 40 days, I think it was. It was, was it 50, 40 days, I think. And then he ascended in heaven, so they tarried 10 days. So the Last Supper was on the day of the Passover, and then there was the day of first fruits, or the wave offering. And then 50 days later was the end of the grain harvest, which was the day of Pentecost. So Christ ascended into heaven after 40 days, 40 days after his resurrection. So there you have it. These two events were 53 days apart. 53 days apart. And in case you didn't figure it out, I've never done that exactly like that before, but I was the Holy Ghost was there and He explained it, and I'm happy He explained it to you and me. <laughs> so it's very likely that one or more of the gatherings of Jesus with the apostles uh, took place in this same upper room because it was a safe place, and they were behind closed doors they were afraid. So whatever familiarity they had with this house, I'm sure that, that it continued to be something of significance. But it's never mentioned again specifically that I know of. not that I can find, and I've looked. And maybe if it's in there one day, I'll find it. But I don't see it now. I've missed it. So all of that is being said for this purpose. He wanted us to know that he did significant things in houses, not just in public, and that he did not make shrines or holy places out of those places where he did things. Now, that's what religion does. And that's one reason why I have personally never cared that much to go to Jerusalem because the temple's not there anymore. And But they have, religion has built some churches on some very famous sites, they claim, that they, that's the exact locations, and made them holy places. Well, that's not holy at all. Those places aren't holy. What's holy is what took place there. And who was involved in it? When we begin to take things and places and make them holy, rather than the people being holy, and the involvement with God and Him and His involvement in and through us being holy, so that we can fulfill His plan and purpose, the plan and purpose of His kingdom in the earth as holy. We have really allowed this thing to get perverted. And no good thing comes out of that when we become that religiously, traditionally narrow-minded and not even acknowledge what the word of God says and accommodate it in our practices. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for you and me that the spirit of grace and the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation from the Holy Ghost but enlighten our minds and hearts and let us see the word, see what God is saying to us, that we can be truly all that he wants us to be and he can do through us truly all that he wants to do. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. God bless you.